Hi, this is Cinemad. I'm here with Mark and Dan from Rooftop Films. I'm here virtually on the phone. And Rooftop Films is a, this really great series that happens every year in New York, uh, quite literally showing films on rooftops. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about not only what rooftops is doing, rooftop is doing, but kind of the philosophy. It's it's not, it's more than just showing films on people's ceilings. It's a lot more interesting than that. Um, Mark, tell me how you got involved first with uh, Rooftop Films. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I started Rooftop Films in 1997. Um, I was just a couple months out of college. Uh, I'd always grown up in New York City, and in New York a lot of people hang out on, on their rooftops because there's not a lot of other private space to hang out in um, outdoors. And uh, it's... Um, I was a young filmmaker, and I had some films, and some of my friends had some short films, and so I thought it'd be a cool thing to do to show movies on the roof where I hung out all the time. And uh, I started it that year and realized that, you know, we could get people to come out and see things that they wouldn't otherwise see when you brought them to a new, exciting place, you know, kind of gave people literally a new perspective, both on what's on screen and what. Uh, what the view is of the city. Uh, so, you know, after that, uh, it just sort of kept growing. Um, we did it again the next year and a few years on. And uh, the, the philosophy, though, is still the same. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. But the philosophy of, of a new perspective and getting people out uh, to see things in a new way is still, uh, still what we try to do. And, Dan, how did you get involved? Um, when Mark and I had gone to college together, so I was just spectator at the first show on Mark's But, um, yeah, the following year, um, there was a big warehouse space out in, um, Bushwick, Brooklyn, which hadn't yet been, um, gentrified at all, um, that some friends and I had got a long-term lease on, so we were converting it to some loft apartments, um, and so we had this massive space in this industrial district, um, uh, in a neighborhood that had notoriously you know, been pretty bad when I was growing up, um, but we realized it was close to Williamsburg and some places that people would theoretically go to. Um, so we had this big space and this big roof, and Mark was looking for a roof, and so I said, oh, let's do it out at my place. And um, it really uh, it really took off there, and so it was on my roof for the next five years after that. Um, and uh, I got gradually more and more involved in working with um, Mark and uh, some of the other people who had gotten involved at that point um, on programming, and um, then we eventually left Bushwick, but um, I stayed on and became program director, and I've been working full-time for Rooftop for, uh, I don't know, how long has it been? Eight years? Nine years? It's been a long time. <laughs> That's got to be the only time somebody got a job out of their roof. How much came out of that space in Bushwick, um, and the the building is still there, and the walls we built are still there. But I haven't lived there in a long time. And it's pretty notorious for bedbugs and doing college parties. Man. <laughs> you mean like the rooms or the roof? Yeah, they, they, we had these big spaces, and you know, when we built it, was these giant, you know, bedrooms that could, you know, were the size of two apartments and things like that, and we had like ten thousand. But the um, yeah, the landlord took it over eventually and just cut it all up into these tiny little rat holes <laughs> where like 
green that would stay up all summer, um, God willing. And uh, every week, just about, somebody would graffiti it, um, and we'd have to repaint it. Um, was it was it just a painted wall? Uh, no, we we like built a screen out of like tin studs and, and wood and drywall and stuff. Drywall, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. And uh, I went back to that roof actually last summer um, and just snuck into the building when I was in the neighborhood. And uh, it, there's still a lot of graffiti up there, but the it's gone from like uh, inner city hip hop style graffiti to like art student style. <laughs> so, the, the neighborhood building, the roof has changed. So, the, it sounds like it started out just the roofs you could get. Did you guys get to, was there some point where you're like, okay, I see this roof, I know that's going to be a great place to show a film. Can that, can that, is that part of the process? Or did it used to be? It is now. I mean, the transition... Started in uh, 2002, three, four, when essentially we, you know, lost the ability to do things in Dan's roof because rooftop had gotten too big and the neighborhood had changed too much and the building had changed too much, so we couldn't kind of do things quite as guerrilla style as we had. Um, and at that point, from 2002 to three, I just kind of said, you know, if we're going to keep doing this, we either got to make it professional or, or stop. Um, and so I quit all my day jobs and went full-time at rooftop in, in 2003. And then in 2004, we lost the roof that we got in 2003, and we were sort of forced to become ideas. But we'd already started doing certain shows in different places. Um, but that kind of uh, forced error of, of having to move around because we didn't have one roof that we could just count on every week. Uh, it become a natural part of the philosophy. Uh, so now uh, we're always looking for, for interesting new spaces to do film in. Uh, and, you know, we, we see a space and think, like, oh, you know, what we could do here is this certain type of film or, you know, this would be a, a, a cool place to, to bring people to uh, try to create uh, you know a, a kind of conversation between the, the the actual physical city and the people who live here, where people experience spaces that they uh, otherwise would have overlooked. And also along those lines, yeah, I mean, yeah, people come to us a lot, which I think is a good point. Um, so the the problem is that our shows have gotten pretty big, um, so most rooms can't really accommodate what we'd want to do for, for a typical show. So, um, you know, there are, there are legal restrictions on, on most rooftops, and sometimes it's 75 people, which is not really enough for us to do something. What do you, say that again, the, with the legal restrictions? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, most rooftops are not, like, there are plenty of cool rooftops in New York City, I mean, probably more so than any other, you know, city in the U.S. In, in terms of we have a lot of you know, we have a rooftop culture where people hang out on the roof lot. Um, but most of the time when people are hanging out on the roofs, they're doing it illegally. Um, and right. they don't necessarily realize that, but there's usually not, you know, much of a like, uh, legal occupancy for that roof. So often people will come to us and say they've got this great roof in Long Island City and it's this amazing 
of you, and I'll get there, and I'll, I'll know within seconds that there's no way that they could legally do <laughs> any sort of event on that roof, um, you know, just just for various little restrictions. So, yeah, as Mark was saying, we can't quite be as guerrilla about things as we used to, just because our shows get attention, and so so we go by the book now, or yeah. at least mostly by the book. Yeah, have you guys become experts? On building codes and laws, <laughs> much more so than we ever would have hoped to have become, for sure. So, yeah, I've spent a good portion of this past week going over building codes, and it's not—it's not as fun. The two things that we know more about than we ever hoped to was are definitely um, building codes and the weather. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, because there's well, you do. Obviously, if there's a rain out, you have a backup plan. But what's what is your go-to weatherman? Who is it? We we use a competition. I mean, we, we used to joke that you know that we were amateur meteorologists, but then we realized that actually, you know, if it rains on a Friday night when we're doing a show, that affects our livelihood, and so that actually I think makes us professional meteorologists. <laughs> um, and uh, so. So we use a combination of, of uh, you know, weather.com, AccuWeather, all the different websites, maps, uh, using the future, looking past experience, um, mediums, all sorts of things. Um, we had a betting pool going. Whatever whatever uh, sources of information are out there, we're, we're picking at them. So, so there's no go-to guy. checking the weather on like the most local level you ever would hope to <laughs> we'll be looking at radar maps you know live radar maps on our cell phones and we're not really worried if it rains in New York we just want to know if it's going to rain on our block so, <laughs> so the forecast is not for like you know 350 Grand Street in the Lower East Side it's for all of New York City and it might be raining in the Bronx it might even be raining in the East Village but if it's not raining in the Lower East Side we don't care so we'll be checking the maps, like just to see if you know storm systems will miss us by five blocks, and we've gotten it right most of the time. So it works. I wrote a blog post. I wrote a blog post last year. I think it was last year about the weather conspiracy too, because <laughs> if, you know, if you look at a site like weather.com, if you just look at their homepage and it says like you know what's what's the forecast for the day, mm-hmm. it'll have a little icon that'll have rain and thunderstorms if it's like a 30% chance that it's going to rain at any point in that day. And that's not really what matters to us. What matters to us is, is it going to rain from 9 to 11? But that icon up there tells everybody like, oh, rainy day, don't go out. But I think that the weather sites do that just so people are constantly getting their news sticks and like, oh, I got to go back and check the weather. Oh, it's lightning in the air. Like, Scary day can't be uh, can't be going out at all. Big conspiracy, really, and it uh, you know I, I think it's aimed directly at you know small nonprofit organizations like ours who are trying to do public service in outdoor Definitely, they're trying to defund the uh, the alarm weather. Well, the other the other option we have is uh, uh, moving on a roof and speeding. That's you know our our. Our new backup plan is doing it somewhere in the desert. Yeah. Uh, maybe LA. 
So, you know, that's a big part of, of Rooftop, because you guys are in New York, so that's why it happened. Um, but it is, it's, it's definitely a specific culture with the architecture, with the kinds of people that live there. Uh, I know you guys have thought about other cities, but do you think the vibe would change? Are there only certain cities this will work in? something that you guys thought about franchising as much as um you know not not because you're into world domination but just to spread the the vibe and give more opportunities for films to show in a cool way yeah we had to do that um you know and there's a few different models that we might follow that we're looking into um and and you know franchising in a in a kind of happy pure way not in like a Starbucks take over the world way, but uh, in a way that really does allow for local, you know, with local flavor for each different, you know, city or venue or whatever, uh, is would probably be part of it because that, that community collaboration is an important part of, I think, what makes Rooftop Films event special. It'd be great if just so many drive-ins across America could be reclaimed as um, movie movie houses instead of swap meets. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, we've heard there's there's some artists who've done similar, like have done that exactly. If you know the filmmaker Todd Chandler, he he did a he reclaimed uh, like an old abandoned drive-in upstate actually, and uh, and did something just like that. We're showing art films and Jim Cohen movies and things like that, like on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was totally done guerrilla style. They just took it over and borrowed a projector and, and, and set it up. And so, yeah, hopefully that sort of thing will take off. So what, what kinds of roofs are, 
you're doing this year? Do you have a few favorites or or things that are places that are interesting? Uh, yeah, our top you know our top two roofs are are probably our our home base uh, rooftops, which are an open road on the Lower East Side, uh, a huge beautiful roof, the top of a school, and there's all this graffiti up there that the students work on. Um, that makes it just an incredible space to be on. Uh, and then another one we've been in for years, uh, the roof of the Old American Can Factory uh, in Gowanus, Brooklyn, which is where where we've been since uh, 2004. And uh, that's another beautiful roof, a really interesting space. It's actually a six-building industrial complex. It's a former art space. I mean, a former industrial space has now become an art space. And uh, the shows there are really cool because we can have people on multiple levels, uh, all outdoors and uh, have the after party right there in the courtyard. Um, so uh, those are some of our favorites. We're also later in the summer uh, doing some screenings on the roof of uh, the Grange, which is an urban farm in Queens, in Long Island City. Uh, it's a massive roof. Uh, I don't even know, 40,000, 50,000 square feet or something. Wow. And uh, it's actually uh, entirely planted as a farm. So there's corn and lettuce and tomatoes and everything growing. And this incredible view uh, of all of Manhattan from Queens. And we set up a, a screen there and people are sitting in between the rows of the vegetables growing and watching you know, short films on that roof. It's really a lot of fun. We do, um, we do, do screens also um, in outdoor locations that are not roofs. Um, and that's something that, you know, probably because some of our shows, um, to do some of our bigger shows, there's just not any roofs that can fit, like, 2,000 people. Um, a, a roof just doesn't really exist, I think, anywhere in New York City. <laughs> so for some of our really big shows, we'll, uh, we'll do screenings, like, on the beach at Coney Island. We're doing some other screenings um, in different locations that are, are really great. Like, um, there's a new outdoor market built entirely out of shipping containers called the Call Market um, on Flatbush Avenue that out opened uh, late last summer and now they they just reopened for the spring and we'll be doing some screenings there as well. It's a really cool space. And well, is that a working business or what's inside? Yeah, it's a, it's it's like um it's an outdoor market with all like uh, local businesses, all different sorts of businesses. Really, um, there's food, drink, um, but also you know handmade goods. Um, but all the shop, it's it's basically a little kind of shopping mall, like an alternative shopping mall. But every single shop is actually built out of a modified shipping container. So they've like cut out doors to the shipping container or built oh, wow. windows and those sorts of things. So you get served like your your if you go and buy a beer, you'll get served out of a shipping container there where they'll have a bar set up inside there and it's a pretty cool spot. Do you guys have dream roofs at all? Like Empire State Building or something?
no, but I mean, I think one of the things that we'd like to do also is eventually get our, our own space that um, we would still move around from week to week to have multiple night days throughout the city. Um, but uh, we'd love to have one place that's, that's uh, controlled totally by us year-round and, uh, you know, something that would be unique, uh, you know, really just to rooftop films and other events that we can put on there. Yeah, anyone who's got a building that they want to donate to us, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably, when the Mets, right when the Mets are on the road, they could probably use a few extra bucks, and you could get the field. <laughs> well, actually, I was I actually have been talking to not the Mets, but um, the Staten Island Yankees. The Yankees have a minor league team um, on out at uh, on Staten Island, and I just actually had a phone call with them. I think we're going to try to do some events. Um, on the, like uh, showing movies like on their video scoreboard um, at the stadium on Staten Island, so it's not City Field, but it's it's, it's close. That actually brings up the point too. Like you know, I've been to a couple of shows and you guys don't slap these together. Like a screen may be a wall and it's painted, or you or maybe a little windy and the screen's going to move slightly, but. I mean, you do. You guys do take care of making sure the image and the film is represented in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you know a lot of a lot of filmmakers when they first, if they haven't heard of us previously, or if they haven't been to a show, you know, they've been to some outdoor screening somewhere, and I think a lot of the time there's not a lot of attention paid to the details of showing, you know, Casablanca for the thousandth time outdoors or something like that. Um, so you know, a lot of people assume that the sound and the image will be pretty crappy, but you know, we always wanted to, you know, our experience, the reason that we're doing this is to get exposure for these films, so we want the filmmakers to be happy with the way their films presented. So every year we work hard on improving the playback and the, the screen, the projection, the sound, and since we have live music at all of our shows, um, you know, we have the sound set up for a full live band, so the sound is, you know, more than adequate for the, for the films that we're showing as well. So... Um, yeah, it's important to us because the bottom line is some of the films that we love wouldn't screen with us if they weren't confident that it doesn't look and sound good. So the other thing that people might think, either the filmmakers or the audience, is that like a film's got to fit a certain place or maybe it's a type of film you guys are into. What is the philosophy or, um, lack of a better word, like the agenda when you're programming? Well, the first thing is we're looking for really great films. Um, the... But that's pretty broad. The, the next thing is that um, I think that uh, because of the nature of our screenings, uh, we really like films that are that are more intimate and personal, that uh, aren't maybe the, the big epic or the kind of talking head documentary that's just informational, but something that uh, is you know visually unique, but also. Uh, you know, very personal to the filmmaker and, and that will really um, touch the audience in a uh, sort of one-to-one way because if the uh, the filmmakers are going to be there, the audience is having this sort of communal experience um, that, uh, that we're trying to create by having the venue working with the film and the neighborhood and, and everything. Those are, those are, I don't know, that wasn't a very good answer at all, but the personal and intimate films are, are key to it. Uh, things that are flying under the radar, um, things that might otherwise not have seen, 
come out to do something that's in a unique space. Uh, you know, something they haven't heard of, they still will come out. Um, so we can actually afford to show films that are maybe a little more challenging and and unheard of. Yeah, and that's one. That's that's a good point, by Mark. That you know, we're we because people often are coming out for the events or because they've heard that this is a cool thing to do, or because they just want to see the roof that that we're going to be on that that week. Um, we do have a little bit more freedom with programming. I mean, one of the good examples of that is with short films. You know, short films are often at a lot of film festivals kind of buried, um, and it's something that you know they'll do a couple, but only because they feel like they should. But you know, they're they're not. They don't really do that many of them, mostly because people don't come out for them. But we get great crowds for you know foreign documentaries and short films because people I think are interested in that and they're interested in, in checking something out, and they know that even if the film is if not every film is for them, they'll still have an experience that they'll enjoy. And I think that gives us the freedom to explore different things um, and to, you know, show some stuff that that other festivals might overlook. Yeah, that's what's lost on a lot of, like, chain theaters is just the place, the, the actual experience about being inside of a place, seeing a movie. Because seeing a movie isn't special anymore that that ended in about 1951 um and you know nobody today we always have the joke like oh man what's what is amc showing let's go hang out at amc i can't wait to get there it's like no you don't they're they're providing a different function that's a business thing and this is about having an experience and not showing you something that was basically made to make a bunch of money it's it's like you said a story we're running this mid-may 2012 uh what kind of films do you got coming up over the next couple of weeks we've got a short film program on um the 17th and 18th um both uh again like our our short film programs we're really proud of uh we get thousands of short film submissions every year and uh we always also try to curate the programs around a, a pretty tight theme, so it's not just you know oh here's the you know AFS film sort of randomly programmed. Um, so we've got uh, a couple of, of kind of twisted and dark programs that weekend, uh, the 17th and 18th. Um, one is called On Your Own, which is a film kind of about loners and outsiders, uh, but it's fun and twisted. There's a lot of humor in it. Uh, and then on the 18th, the program called No Escape, uh, which is on a similar theme. It's about people kind of trapped in some complicated situations. There's, you know, political documentaries, but also some surreal animation, uh, all sorts of things, but on that theme of, of not being able to escape your situation. Um, so on May 23rd, we also have um, Heavy Girls, uh, which is... Uh, uh, German drama uh, with a comic element um, uh, that won the Audience Award at Flemdance. It's a really fantastic film. Um, it, it, I'm surprised it actually hasn't played at more festivals. Um, it's really, it's really, really beautiful film, um, and we'll be doing the New York premiere of that, which I think will be a really great screening when we cut the filmmaker coming in for for that screening as well, which will be really great. Um, and um, yeah, Mark, you have to listen for me, right? Uh, <laughs> well, you've got the waiting room. 
um, which is playing on the 19th. Uh, it's a documentary about a hospital waiting room in a low-income uh, community, uh, and it pretty much just spends like 24 hours in this waiting room, and it really gives you uh, a look at um, so many of the issues facing our country and healthcare these days. Um, but through this almost verite and very personal uh, approach, where you're just getting to know these people's stories as they, you know, wait for hours and try to get treatment, and there's people who are coming in for their primary care, and it just it it almost feels like a uh, a fiction film that is scripted to tell all the different aspects of the healthcare crisis, um, but it doesn't it's like. It. If Robert Altman directed a documentary about healthcare. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then uh, the following week, we've got a, a, a few great shows coming up. Our annual Dark Tunes show. So it's a program of, of animation, but all the, the darker, scarier side of uh, animation that's uh, always really popular. Uh, and then beginning of June, we've got our South by Southwest weekend. Um, which uh, we, we've done the last two years, um, where we'll do the New York premieres of three films that world premiered at South By. And we'll have um, uh, Amy Smith's um, Sun Don't Shine, Matthew Lillard's uh, Fat Kid Rules the World, and Kaveh um, Zahidi's Controversial The Sheik and I. And then you've also got Kumari, which won an audience award at South By. Yeah, Kumari will be a great one, I think, for that. And uh, Vikram, of course, will be there for that. And I'm really interested. It hasn't really played in New York yet, so I'm really interested. It'll be opening in theaters after, soon after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want to see how the audience reacts to that, because that was a film that I thought would be controversial, and instead the audience loved it. <laughs> um, and I thought that there'd be some criticism, because it's a tricky film, but um, literally. Um, but uh, I'm really interested to see that Q&A. And a couple other films we got that, you know, Cinemat viewers, listeners might be really interested in. Um, a documentary called This Ain't California, uh, which is a documentary about the East German skateboarding scene in the 1980s. Uh, and I think there, there's been maybe a couple of films about, like, breakdancing and skateboarding and stuff in, in East Germany or, you know, kind of behind the Iron Curtain. But this one is is really exceptional because the filmmaker himself was, was involved in the scene uh-huh. and he had a ton of footage from him and his friends they shot themselves back in the 80s and the crew of them getting back together again in 2011 or whatever uh, when one of their friends who they've been out of touch with for a really long time uh, actually died fighting in, in Afghanistan oh, wow. and um, so it has this this personal touch to it that really, uh, you know, it's fun, it's exciting, it's really funny, uh, all the skating, but then also this, this human story about, you know, the, the changing life after the end of the GDR and, you know, what's gone through global politics, you know, the throne wall, so, um, so that's a really cool film, and, uh, then a couple other ones I'll just mention real quick, um, this documentary called Bovines, which is just one of the most beautiful films we'll ever show, and it's really great to be able to show it outdoors. Uh, it's, it's an hour-long uh, documentary just 
about cows, and there's no voiceover, there's no title, there's no human beings virtually in the film at all, but it's just, it's uh, stunningly uh, intelligent, really, the way that the you, you bond with these cows and really start to think about the, the sentient life of, of these animals in a way that I don't think people generally think about cows as much. Um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so, that's a, a fun one. And um, and lastly, uh, Grandma Lo-Fi, mm-hmm. which is a documentary about this um, 70-year-old woman in Iceland who in the, uh, I think in the late 60s or early 70s started just kind of making experimental music and tape loops and things in her house using, you know, things like egg beaters uh, and just like domestic objects in her house. And she became really a, a pioneer of kind of uh, fun experimental music, particularly in Iceland, and people like Bjork and Sigurus and uh, all these other Icelandic bands became, um, you know, big fans of her work, and she kind of mentored them, but nobody really knows about her that much, and she's just, like, charming and and uh, makes really fun, interesting music, so that's a, another great film we'll have uh, on um, yeah, June 2nd, so yeah, lots of good stuff, and that's that's just the first like three weeks. So, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, how when yeah, you guys check out the website stuff, obviously for for the full schedule. Yeah, com. And how long do you guys go yeah. through August or September? Yeah, through so August eighteenth with our primary programming, and then we'll come back in September with uh, a couple of special events as well. Yeah. Have you guys seen like some weird things just by being on a roof more than other people? Because I picture, of course, I watch Law & Order too much, so I figure that's just going on in every window in every building in New York. Well, when we were, when we were out in Bushwick in the early days, when that neighborhood was still really transitioning from a, a pretty desolate and reasonably dangerous neighborhood to what it is now, which is maybe a little dangerous, but it's, it's like the, the white artist kids who are creating all the trouble now. Um, but back in the early days, we would see stuff all the time, but the big thing was there were car fires because Bushwick was where when people stole cars, they would drive them to Bushwick, abandon them, and light them on fire to get rid of the evidence. Um, and so you see that all the time, which was sort of, you know, after the show was over, people would hang around and have a beer on the roof and watch all the car fires around the neighborhood. Um, there's a little bit less of that now, just not really because we've changed so much, but just because the city has changed and there's just not as many cars being lit aflame. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's still that element for sure. We'll see other parties, you know, going on. I mean, the Lower East Side location every now and then, you know, yeah. we'll see that because you'll, you'll get to see what other people are doing on their roofs too because often our roof will be a little bit higher. So you'll see some of the other stuff that's going on, um, see sunbathers and that sort of thing when we're setting up. It's definitely, it's definitely part of the vibe. And that amps you up to, like, be better than that party? <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, we've got louder sound systems, so we'll just blast them out. <laughs> Another thing you guys do that's interesting is get some funds to filmmakers while they're making stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have the Rooftop Filmmakers Fund, uh, which we've been running since uh, 1999, which uh, most of our shows are ticketed. Uh, some are free, but uh, the ones that are ticketed, we take a portion of all the proceeds and we set it aside and give it back to the filmmakers whose work we've shown in the form of grants. 
and it's a way for uh, us and for the audience to, uh, you know, not just reward you for having made a film in the past, but also help a filmmaker make their next film as well. So it's uh, open to filmmakers who have screened with us at our festival at any time in our 16-year history. And once a year, we set applications uh, and people just tell us about the film they want to make. We have uh, cash grants as well as uh, some, some service grants with local providers uh, of equipment and, and post-production services. And uh, it's really been a, a fantastic uh, part of our organizational growth to have this you know, roster now of about 75 filmmakers who we've helped support um, they, uh, I would think all the filmmakers who hear about the grant um, are just sort of excited to be a part of it, even when they're they're not able to be uh, awarded a grant. They're they're happy that the festival is, is doing this sort of thing, um, and uh, we've had some some incredible films come out of that process. Uh, most recently, uh, we were able to give a grant to Martha Marcy May Marlene which, you know, came out in 2011, and then uh, this year to uh, Beast of Southern Wild, where working with uh, Eastern Effects, the New York City uh, production equipment rental house, uh, we were able to provide all the lighting and grip for that film, and uh, that film will be out in theaters this summer, and people can see, you know, what a visual spectacle it is, and, you know, Rooftop was really influential in, in being able to make that film possible. Lots of short films as well, and uh, you know one of the funny sort of anecdotes about the short film grants because they're directly tied to the ticket sales. We always have a, a random a no- number of of money to, to give out. So you know one filmmaker will get three thousand dollars, another filmmaker will get two thousand dollars, and then one filmmaker will get you know nineteen hundred and forty four dollars or something. And that filmmaker is kind of always the most excited to to get that, that random number because they realize like, wow, this it did come like directly from the community. This is straight from, you know, the, the number of tickets sold at Rooftop last summer. And that comes back around when at a screening and the Rooftop logo comes up on a film and the audience knows, oh, hey, my ticket sales, you know, my coming to this show helps make this film possible and others like it. When the Rooftop logo comes on screen, it's, it always gets a, a round of applause. So. The community knows and filmmakers know that uh, the rooftop of the is something that they're all collaborating on.